Talking Football with Rob Daniels and Bits Tracy. Talking Football. So, very good day to all our listeners. Our date is the 6th of April 2023. Weather-wise, it's uh, another fine day, uh, looking more summer than winter, and uh, nice and still, not too much wind, but we always get the wind later in the day. Let's find out what it's like when we go due west, uh, driving for about an hour, and uh, we'll catch up with Rob Daniels. Good morning to you, Rob, and what's your weather like? Yeah, good morning, Vince. Good morning, everybody. The weather down here this morning, Vince, is absolutely beautiful. It's uh, a lovely spring day, um, lots of sunshine. It's not too hot out in the sun, but um, still a bit chilly in the shade. But uh, no, the sky's blue and uh, everything's looking good down here. Uh, and weird, because I got a message on my computer a few minutes ago telling me Alicante will have weather, uh, uh, rain in about sort of 50 minutes. So I don't know why I get these, um, you know, uh, well, is it to try and depress me? Because they're not going to depress me with that one because it looks absolutely gorgeous today. Anyway. Well, uh, it does, but if if, if um, we do get rain in the next 50 minutes, Vince, uh, I'll be able to let you know because we'll still be doing the podcast. Okay. But at the moment... Not clouding the sky. Okay. Now, we're going to start this morning uh, by looking at a very tragic case, which is something that happened here in Spain, which, of course, means that I've got to call in one of the experts. uh, And this is just up Rob's street. Um, Rob, of course, well in the picture here for the Spanish football. And um, we've done our podcast for many years now um, and also we were doing the radio work together for many years. I don't recall something as significant as this ever happening so um, tell me what it's all about and what you've been able to discover please Rob. Right Vince well unfortunately we're starting off today with um, quite a tragic story but um, this is a young Spanish football called Francisco Naval Perez. He played for a team called Chipiona, which is um, in Cadiz province. It's um, a semi, it's an amateur team, um, but they do take it quite seriously. And they're in the second um, division of the Andalusian leagues. And he was 24 years old. And on Saturday, last Saturday, um, somebody stabbed him. A 20-year-old man they've got in custody who um, stabbed Francisco. He's called Paco. Um, obviously, he's, he's nicknamed Paco. Um, this 20-year-old man stabbed him. Um, in the street, and unfortunately he died. Um, he died the following morning, the Sunday morning in hospital, because he couldn't save his life. Now, the very strange thing, or the thing that has caught the whole of the it's been the whole of the Spanish press, not just the sports press, is the fact that there was no connection between the two men whatsoever. They didn't know each other. It appears that this uh, 20-year-old guy um, who's in custody but isn't giving much information away, I don't think, they haven't named him or anything, but he went out with the intention of killing somebody and basically killed the first person who uh, crossed his path. And it happened to be uh, Francisco Naval Perez. And, um, yeah, it's it's a very, very sad story. I mean, he was a family man, 24 years old. He, he had a young daughter. Um, obviously, he had plans for the future and things like that. He was very well respected at the club. He was a local lad. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's been mentioned in the news all the way through the Spanish press because these kind of things don't happen that often do they and unfortunately it is connected with the world of football but uh, it, it's quite unusual that just a complete random killing would happen isn't it it is and the way i first saw this story which uh, obviously was the reason why i wanted to make sure we covered it um was it uh, almost uh, was written as th- as if it had been um you know something that had been at a football match. I mean, obviously, um, it, it didn't give it didn't give you that detail. But I mean, the way it sort of had an eminence in. I think I picked this story up in the the Sun newspaper actually, 
Um, but I mean, uh, realistically, I suppose what really caught my eye, and th- therefore, with it being a uh, Spanish matter um, rather than something happening in England, I'd noticed one or two of the comments had said, I suppose it's one of these um, people coming in on boats. And uh, so, you know, if that's somebody's immediate thought, I mean, that's not a that's not a nice thing to immediately associate uh, a stabbing with, um, especially in Spain, because we don't really hear very often about the um, illegal immigrants that come to Spain, do we? No, and they aren't really notorious for causing trouble either, the ones who come to Spain, um, at least the ones who, who live around there where I live. Um, in the hotels and everything, they they don't seem to cause any trouble at all. And there's been no suggestion that it's uh, an immigrant anywhere in that I've seen in the press. Um, they, they they don't think it's a Spanish man. They think, um, well, they they it's because they haven't given that much information about him. <clears throat> but everybody sort of assumes that it's a Spanish man. Um, probably not from the local area either. Um, but if he was from the local area, then he might have recognised Paco because he was. There's only eighteen thousand population in this town. Um, however, if the, he's from the same town, then they would have had some sort of connection in a small town like that. So it's really a mystery at the moment. Yeah. Um, hopefully, they, they've got the right guy. They're pretty sure they've got the right guy. So whether or not he actually explains what his motives were or not, then he'll get a long prison sentence for it anyway. It's just very sad that a young man has lost his life, especially. I say married man with a young daughter, his whole life ahead of him, and some lunatic um, decides that he's going to kill somebody and killed him. Okay. All right, then. So, a sad one to start with. Um, yeah. We've got a phone call next. Stand by. Okay, now I don't uh, don't really uh, blame any uh, football manager at the moment in the Premier League for disconnecting or keep keeping his phone off the hook because um, we had two that went over the weekend. I'm pretty sure my gut reaction will tell me that uh, David Moyes is living on borrowed time um, after we discuss the midweek matches. Um, even Jurgen Klopp. Klopp has been talking about the fact that he reckons he's only in his job because of previous successes. Um, so uh, the two that we're going to quickly look at first, um, also in case you've not heard, Frank Lampard is also um, up for coming in as a temporary manager with Chelsea. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, yeah, yeah. OK, well, we start with Graham Potter then, because obviously uh, this is... Chelsea, um, I personally felt that he had jumped out of uh, a great situation with Brighton and uh, really was going into a difficult situation. So either he wanted uh, to take on a big challenge or basically he didn't really realise just how well off he was with the club who are now looking as if they could finish in the top four. So um, take us uh, with your... Um, way of looking at that right well Vince this is uh, Graham Potter who uh, started the season as, as a Brighton manager and had been at Brighton for lots of seasons and basically brought them up so brought them up to be a team which is now competing for European place but um, earlier on in the season um, Thomas Tuchel was sacked by Chelsea and Graham Potter was headhunted by the uh, the new Chelsea board and um, Todd Burley or Boo, I think his uh, surname is is like the chairman of the board, and they offered Graham Potter basically, well, what he thought was like the offer of a lifetime to manage Chelsea, to bring his whole management team with him. Um, and at the time we spoke about it, I didn't think Graham Potter would actually jump ship because he built Brighton to be such a good team. It was his own project. Um, <clears throat> but that is apparently what they wanted him to do at Chelsea, but they didn't give him time. They spent a lot of money. They spent something like 300 million um, euros or 300 million pounds in the January transfer window um, on players that we're not sure if Graham Potter actually chose or were chosen by the board. A lot of them didn't actually play very, very many matches. It didn't seem to gel as a team. And um, Chelsea, 
um, and now in the second half of the table, they're in 11th position. And what they were hoping is that they would be challenging either for the title or definitely for a Champions League place. And it's just not going to happen. Um, then they're going down, down and down and down. And eventually, after last week's results, um, they decided they were going to sack Graham Potter. And uh, so Graham Potter's now out. Whether or not this will damage his future career, um, let's hope not, because he, he is a good young manager. But uh, to have that on his CV, if you like, um, is not going to be good for him, unfortunately. But there's all sorts of people up in the mix, if you like, to come in as a temporary manager, including, as you say, Frank Lampard, who was sacked by them um, after 18 months. Back end of last season, wasn't he, when they brought Thomas Tuchel in? Um, and he's had a disastrous time at uh, Everton, as uh, Frank Lampard. But he is part of the Chelsea. Chelsea's in his blood, if you like. Um, but they're also mentioning uh, lots of other managers like Luis Enrique, the um, ex-Barcelona player and Spanish player who until recently was the manager of the Spanish national team. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see who they get. Um, again, Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers is a very, uh, he's one of my favourite managers. I know that you like him as a manager as well, Vince. But um, with Leicester City, he managed to take them out, they had a really bad start to the season. He managed to take them out of the relegation positions and get them sort of to a half decent um, position mid mid table. But then for some reason they they slid back again and now they're in the second bottom position. And um, eventually Leicester City decided that they would part ways with um, Brendan Rodgers too. So that's two managers gone in uh, the space well, think, of a few days. I think his sacking, uh, you can probably. Uh, chronologically look at I mean the fact that uh, they had that dreadful helicopter crash and lost a very influential part of Leicester Club uh, the owner of course I'm talking about I can't remember his name um, and then of course um, I felt that the minute that uh, Kasper Schmeichel went I felt they were they had a problem I felt that uh, Kasper Schmeichel week in and week out had saved um, many a game for Leicester. And, um, you know, much as I admire the way that Leicester, uh, like when um, uh, Brendan Rodgers was in charge of Liverpool, they, they play a, f a sort of ticky-tacky football. Um, you know, uh, Brendan really hasn't sort of won a huge amount yet, um, nor has Graham Potter. So we're talking really about um, uh, uh, owners taking managers in on a whim Obviously, when you look at Graham Potter, you know, they, they look just down the road to Brighton and were envious. Well, you're talking about different clubs. You're talking about different atmospheres. You're talking about many, many different things um, to come from, you know, the Village Green Society um, up to the big city is always going to be a huge challenge. Um, Brendan mm. Rogers on the other side. Um, I think if they, um, they'll probably have a, a, a minor improvement. But then, you know, if you're not spending money and it looks like uh, Leicester, like a lot of clubs, including Liverpool, um, you know, have not been really exploring how to improve their team the way that the manager would probably have wanted. Um, don't be surprised if the results don't come in. That's how I see it. Well, yes, the, uh, in the case of Leicester, um, <clears throat> they're second from bottom at the moment, but they are having a lot of financial difficulties. And I don't think in the January transfer window, I don't think they were able to sign anybody at all. And um, they might have made a couple of signings because when they sold Casper Schmeichel and another one of the well-known um, ex-players, whose name escapes me now, goes, went, um, I think they might have been able to invest some of that money in a couple of um, players, but... They're, they're a club that is in financial dire straits. And um, Graham Potter, that, sorry, um, Brendan Rodgers had a sort of list of players that he was, was interested in. But they, there was no way that Leicester could afford them. So uh, he had to make do with the, the best he could with the team that he had. And they did try, but um, they don't seem to have been good enough. And uh, they're looking very much like relegation candidates at the moment. And we'll just have to see what happens to Brendan Rodgers afterwards. I don't, I don't think Brendan Rodgers will get as much blame, um, if you like, as Graham Potter might do. Um, because at least Brendan Rodgers sort of uh, took a team. And, he, and they did well for the first couple of seasons um, as well. But he took a team that was fairly modest and built them into something which 
is still fairly modest. But Graham Potter took on one of the biggest clubs in in the Premier League, didn't he? And uh, couldn't do anything with them. Uh, but a lot of people are talking about, as you mentioned, going from the village green to the big city. Um, may, maybe Graham Potter couldn't handle the big names in the uh, in the changing room because he was a player himself, but he wasn't a particularly well known player. Um, and he hasn't been. He's been a manager of various teams. I mean, he managed in Sweden, I think, and he's managed in and Holland, I think, as well. Um, and but he's not a well-known. He's not like a big-name manager, is he? Um, so whether or not he got the respect he deserved in the changing room, nobody's really sure about. But whatever happened, it, it didn't work, and Chelsea went from bad to worse, basically. I feel there's a big, big problem that uh, is not just about individuals. But it becomes about individuals. By this, I mean that if you've got people who are basically millionaires, they're, they're going to be millionaires over the course of a number of weeks, and you know they start believing in all the publicity and all the articles that are written about them, um, and it must be it must be very very difficult for managers um, to gain the respect of these people because, quite frankly. I would imagine the biggest problem in a lot of clubs is once everybody knows what everybody else is earning, the human instinct comes into play. You know, if I know that somebody who's doing the same job as me is earning twice the amount of money, am I really going to pull my tripe out? Um, I might do it for a while, but sooner or later, if you're going home and your um, significant other is busy saying to you, well... You're doing all the running round, and um, this person is just hanging around the penalty area like Mo Salah, um, you know, or sort of uh, looks like he's um, a little bee uh, sort of floating around a flower instead of tackling properly. Um, you know, wives are going to talk like that. I can, I can hear it. I mean, am I, am I being silly? Or can you hear it as well? You know, um, you're getting paid about a third of his money and you're doing all the running round. And he just gets the headlines when he gets an easy tap in. Oh, come on, I can hear it. I don't know about you. No, I think you're right, Vince, entirely. And it's not particularly the amount of money that they earn because they all earn um, obscene amounts of money. But it wouldn't really matter if they were earning that amount of money or if they were working, I don't know, let's say a local supermarket or something like that. And the person who was getting paid a better wage than they were was doing less than they were. It sort of works on all different levels of, uh, of pay scale, doesn't it? And I can quite easily see um, that, yeah, if Mo Salah, for example, is on uh, £350,000 a week or whatever he's on, and one of the other players is on half that amount but does twice as much work, um, then they're not going to be happy and of course when they go home then the rest of the family aren't going to be happy about it either are they well i mean i don't think it matters on the actual quantity it's the sort of principle isn't it of you do more work than somebody else and get paid less well i think the 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 perfect uh, example is uh, certainly if you look at mo salah and then look at trent alexander arnold i mean the amount of flack he gets and yet to be fair to him you know, I've always said he's great going forward, not as good going as a defender. But he's up and down, running up and down. He puts tackles in, makes some great crosses. No, no matter even if he's had sort of a mediocre game, to my way of thinking, he's been playing better than Salah. And each time he's gone out, um, Salah's about £180,000 better off than him. You know, so I mm. just feel... Um, I, I watched... Um, there's a Netflix uh, Fly on the Wall series for uh, Wrexham. Now, it's only Wrexham. OK, we can talk about that being only the National League. But it's a good example because you actually hear two of the players talking about Mullins, who's been brought in, and um, is a, a very handy player, but you can still know that there's resentment over the differential in money. And I think that this is what's happening with a lot of football, and I am not in the slightest bit surprised. Now, we can even... Um, I'm, I'm picking up a lot of rummaging. Are you under the table and um, ferret? Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just looking for uh, <laughs> some biscuits. <laughs> I could hear you ferreting round. And um, anyway, look. Uh, um, I'll stop that. 
Okay, so that's the that's the uh, ginger biscuits out of the window for the next half hour. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I want to go to a specific player next because it's a player that played uh, for many clubs, including Liverpool, and um, he was always, for me, somebody who tried his best. And it was quite a sort of sad article to read. And this is the demise of one Craig Bellamy, uh, which you're going to put us in the picture with, if you will, please, Rob. Yes, well, Craig Bellamy um, is what well, was a Welsh player. Um, he's captain of the Welsh team. He was born in Cardiff, but um, he spent most of his playing career playing for decent um, Premier League teams, didn't he? He played for Newcastle United. Um, he played for Liverpool twice. He played for West Ham. He played for Man City, and then he, he went back to Liverpool again. And um, Unfortunately, what's happened to Craig Bellamy now is that he's ended up um, bankrupt and he's ended up owing the uh, tax man, I think it's um, £14 million pounds or something like that, or just short of £14 million. Pounds. Um, because after he finished his playing career, he was on he was on these astronomical wages that people used to get in the late 80s and uh, when he first started getting astronomical wages. But he had no <clears throat> financial advice on, on what he should do with it. And um, he did a lot of charitable works. I mean, he set up um, a school in Sri Lanka, I believe it was. Um, he paid for children to have operations and um, he did all sorts of good works with his with the money. But then when it came to uh, financial advice from people about what he should invest in and what businesses he should maybe get into after he finished playing, um, basically he took advice off the wrong people and they ripped him off completely. And he's been expecting this for the last five years. Um, he was the assistant manager. He's now the assistant manager at Burnley um, because, I mean, he is well-respected well in the world of football. Um, he's in he good, to... good company there as well, isn't he? Yes, he's in very good Vincent company there. And, uh, yeah, Vincent company wouldn't take uh, a man on unless he thought he was worth it, would he, let's face it. Um, but apparently now he lives um, somewhere on the outskirts of Manchester in a rented flat because he can't own anything himself because he's bankrupt. Um, he's in a rented car which he's paid for by Burnley Football Club which he would have been anyway I think but he can't have his own car um, but he, he's actually he was the um, assistant manager of Anderlecht um, in Belgium I think Anderlecht isn't it but yeah. he left that job in 2021 um, because he was suffering from depression now at the time it didn't nobody connected what his depression was about but basically, he knew that this was going to happen for the last five years, and he's been waiting for it to happen. And eventually it has. And he's looking on it very philosophically, I think. Um, he's glad that it's sort of over with, and now he's got a chance to really try and start again, even though he, he still owes the tax people this amount of money. I don't know if they'll force him to pay it eventually, because it's a lot of money. But at least the sort of waiting part of it is over, and he knows that he's bankrupt. And it's a, it's a sad story, really, because well, he was a very good player. He always put in a good shift. And he, he he was badly advised on what he should do with all the money that he had. And he was a multimillionaire, Vince. If I can uh, just come in and, and say yeah. <clears throat> anybody who pays for the funeral of a stranger uh, is a wonderful human being. Uh, and, you know, that's a, a, the most wonderful gesture of all the things that that, that he has done. And I also read further down, I know some people will probably think I've squandered all my money on drinking or gambling or drugs. I haven't. And I can go quiet where you won't hear from me, but it won't be down the pub. I've never touched drugs since I was a young kid. I don't gamble. I've never gambled. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I've gambled on people, unfortunately. Um, and he's talking about the result of a series of spectacular failed investments made on his behalf on properties in the um, Albert Embankment in London. And then there's another building project in Kevin Coed Royth in Cardiff, a wine bar and steakhouse in Penarth Marina called Pier 64, and a film partnership tax deferral scheme that was targeted by HMRSC and was responsible for plunging numerous of the footballers and celebrities into financial trouble. Some of it was also the product of plain bad luck and chaos. Um, so um, he wants other people to not fall into the same problems that he has. And, of course, um, th this is a classic, really, of somebody 
who, um, if you don't have the look and if you don't have the right um, uh, sort of advice and um, mentorship, um, then you can be as wealthy as you like, but you can end up a pauper. And this is not the only person I've met who has gone from rags to riches or riches to rags, should I say. Um, so I wanted to bring that one, not to castigate Craig Bellamy, because I liked him as a player. Um, I always thought that he was somebody that uh, wore his heart on his sleeve, always really did try his best when he played for our club and uh, plays for Wales. And uh, I don't really review that as total criticism. I think he appears to be a very, very decent sort of guy. Um, and uh, it mm. just shows you we've got uh, another... Uh, story which is contradicting. Yeah. Or, uh, I, I think I think Craig Bellamy could be classed as the victim, really, in this case, couldn't he, Vince? He's been, he's been, he's been ripped off. Well, um, I mean, the thing is, if, sorry for him. if we uh, look at what we were talking about this time last week, which is our friend Dave Williams and his grandson signing for Spurs, um, you know, I will we'll just mention that in passing to Dave because... I'm sure as a bank manager, he might come into the picture of what to advise his grandson. And I think that that would be good advice, knowing how Dave is, you know. But um, it just shows you, doesn't it, that um, you can make a fortune, but if you don't get the right advice, poor old Craig. Um, yeah. So let's look at what was going on then um, in the midweek matches, because uh, I thought... Uh, we won't spend too much time because we can add these back in as we review the Saturday. But just looking quickly at uh, Bournemouth against Brighton. Uh, Brighton look again a top top four material at the moment. Uh, they won 2-0. Aston Villa beat Leicester. Well, we know what happens uh, with somebody whose team is languishing. And uh, we've been discussing Brendan Rodgers. Chelsea-Liverpool was like watching paint dry. It was absolutely boring. Um, I, <laughs> Unfortunately so, Vince. It was very mediocre, wasn't it? And as a Liverpool fan, I definitely looked at his selection and Klopp's uh, substitutions with great amusement, I think, would be the way I'm going to describe that. Um, your team had a good win, so just enthuse for a minute. Right, well, yes, Leeds United played uh, Nottingham Forest um, midweek, uh, Tuesday night. And these were all um, catch-up games from match match week seven, which is uh, from the 8th of September, the week of the 8th of September 2022, which unfortunately is when the late Queen passed away and all the Premier League matches, all football was cancelled. So they're playing these catch-up matches and uh, Leeds United beat Nottingham Forest 2-1. Um, I went out to watch it with my mate, who's the uh, Javi, who's the uh, Nottingham Forest supporter. We we don't want either of our teams to go down, but uh, there was a little bit of rivalry towards the end because it was 2-1 to Leeds. And Leeds got the three points, and they went from 18th position to 13th, just on winning one match. Um, and Forest, well, Forest are also in the relegation battle, but um, yeah, Leeds got the three points, and we needed three points, let's face it. The manager is obviously under pressure for um, Nottingham Forest, but they, I, I read that uh, he seems to be at least backed by his um, team and uh, the board, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, mm -hmm. When we go next to West Ham, uh, we both identified um, that the manager is under pressure and probably a 5-1 home defeat at New Newcastle's hands. Um, won't be helping David Moyes at all. I mean, you, he is a, a reasonably good manager. Uh, he's had reasonable success. And remember, of course, he was man managing both um, Everton and, more importantly, Manchester United in the past. So we're not talking about somebody who's um, just come up from uh, maybe a, a much, much smaller club. So that will be one to keep an eye on. And uh, mm. the West, the West, the West Ham defence last night, Vince. I watched that on match of the day last night. The West Ham defence is non-existent. It, it is. Um, Dion Dublin um, was one of the uh, commentators on match of the day, and he said this is this is like primary school defence. They were making so many mistakes, Vince. It was absolutely unbelievable. And this had it was nearly always all defensive mistakes, which led to the five Newcastle goals. So uh, West Ham are not looking in a good position at all. And yeah, it looks like David Moyes might well be the next one out the door. 
Yep, and it's pretty obvious that Manchester United were making sure Rashford wasn't going to play in international games when he's needed for uh, what he was doing last night, which was uh, cracking in a great winner for Manchester United. Uh, Brentford, uh, they are still uh, up the top end of the table. Uh, there's no chance of any... I don't think there's going to go go any further than the middle of the table anyway. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm just so pleased that Rashford, uh, whatever the miracle was um, performed over his withdrawal from the, uh, the England squad, um, then I think that, uh, yes, it's worked. And uh, quite honestly, if every single manager took the same decisions as Man City and um, Manchester United, then um, we might even do away, do away with the international games. That's the way I feel about that one. Any thoughts well, on yeah. the, the miraculous recoveries? Well, well, it is rather miraculous, isn't it, that uh, Marcus Rashford didn't, got, didn't play for England or wasn't in the England squad because he was uh, injured and then he comes back and he knocks a brilliant one in against uh, Brentford last night. But um, I suppose, yeah, it's the, 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 some of these managers... They will play that kind of game, won't they? Unfortunately, uh, even if the t even if the players fit, if it isn't a really important England match, they'll make out there's something wrong with them, so they don't have to play, um, so they get a bit of rest time and they don't get injured. On the su subject of Brentford, I mean Brentford at the moment are in ninth position, so they're not going to get a European place, but I think they'll be very proud of their season because uh, at the beginning of the season, if someone had said to Brent uh, any Brentford fan, possibly even player. Um, you'll end up with a top half finish. I think they'd have taken that straight away, don't you? Definitely, definitely. OK, well, we'll go to um, exciting games in Spain next. So I'll put the jingle on and we'll have a look at Rob's La Liga and, of course, the Copa de Reyes, which uh, you're going to tell us all about. Um, here's the jingle. La Liga Roundup with Rob Daniels. OK, well, I was reading slightly quickly that uh, Karim Benzema has been at it again. So um, have I got that one right? Yes, you have, Vince. Um, now, this uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, which was two nights ago and last night, there were the uh, second legs of both semi-finals of the uh, Copa del Rey, which is the uh, Spanish version of the uh, FA Cup, I suppose. And uh, the first match was played on Tuesday night and it was Athletic Bilbao against Osasuna. Um, a Basque derby, if you like, and um, both matches after 90 minutes ended up as 1-0, so it went to extra time, and Osasuna got a goal in the 116th minute, so Osasuna in the final. Then last night, it was Barcelona against Real Madrid, and um, played at Barcelona, and Barcelona went into the match with a 1-0 lead, um, and in these uh, Clasico matches, anything can happen. And uh, Real Madrid played absolutely superbly. Um, it ended up 0-4 to Real Madrid. So Madrid go through 1-4 in aggregate. Vinicius Junior got um, a goal in for Madrid. And then Karim Benzema got a hat-trick. Uh, Karim Benzema, he's, be he's been there for, I think, over 10 seasons now. He started when he was very young. Um, but he's just part of the furniture, really, isn't he? And he doesn't seem to age particularly. When he's on form, he's on absolutely excellent form. He got a hat-trick last night. Real Madrid completely wiped the floor with Barcelona. And the final is now going to be Real Madrid, Osasuna. The stadium is to be determined and the time is to be determined, but it's going to be on Saturday the 6th of May. So uh, we'll let all the listeners know when we have more information on exactly where it's going to be played and what time. Um, in the rest of uh, well, the rest of Spanish football, um, in La Liga at least, um, they've played 27 matches, so they've got uh, 11 matches left. Barcelona are at the top um, with a 12-point advantage over Real Madrid at the moment. Um, both teams won at the weekend. Um, Barcelona, Real Madrid won 4-0 and Barcelona won 0-3 away at Elche. And so they are, they're the two top teams. Um, Barcelona are well in front, but uh, Barcelona, that's the only thing they've got to play for at the moment because they're out of Europe and they're out of the uh, Copa del Rey. Real Madrid, meanwhile, are in the final of the Copa del Rey and they're still in Champions League. So, um, but they, they won't be giving up on La Liga. Then we've got Atletico Madrid, Real Sociedad in the Champions League places. Real Betis, who are playing Man United in the uh, Europa League, in the um, UEFA, 
Europa League place and then Villarreal in the place that nobody wants to be, which is the UEFA League place. Down at the bottom, it is very, very tight as uh, it is in the Premier League. Elche, the local team to where I live, um, lost again. They're going to go down, but they're going to go down with their heads held high because nobody expected them to even get as far as they've got, to be honest. Valencia got a draw and that takes them out of the relegation positions, but only by one place because there are three teams on 27 points, which is very similar to the Premier League. Um, two teams on 28 and then one on 30. So between the basically the number 13, which is Sevilla, and the uh, number 19 place, which is Almeria, there's only four points difference between all of those teams. So uh, we're starting again tomorrow. Um, we've got matches um, starting again tomorrow. And we'll just have to wait and see what happens in the next uh, stage. Barcelona playing away against Girona. Not playing at home, sorry, against Girona. Real Madrid are playing at home against Villarreal. Um, Villarreal are looking good, actually. They beat Real Sociedad at the weekend. Um, so they should give Madrid a match. And um, yeah, so we've got a full lineup um, starting again as from tomorrow. And we'll see what happens then. Okay, the owner of Valencia, who we have mentioned in the past, um, but they've been in free fall this year. And we're talking about a team that has been, I think I'm right in saying, with Rafa Benitez, they went to the final of the European Cup. Um, Mm. They've, uh, I mean, they've been a top team here. And uh, this Peter Lynn has come in and uh, there has been shenanigans is the word that we like to use. Now, uh, I don't know whether or not that was the uh, Formula One or it was the uh, TT races, but uh, either your end or my end, we had a big bike just went past. So, I think it was your end, Vince, because your, 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 your microphone went dead for a couple of seconds. It was really interesting, that. Um, yeah. OK, uh, so um, Peter Lynn. Uh, basically, uh, these guys take on a club uh, at a whim, and they forget that there are thousands of people whose uh, very lives depend on the success or the failure of the football club. And uh, whilst he might be sitting in Malaysia somewhere, um, enjoying whatever he might enjoy uh, by way of enjoyment in Malaysia, um, there's a lot of people who are really fed up with Valencia at the moment because I spoke to a guy, um, nothing to do with football, um, because he was from Valencia, and I did ask him the question. Immediately, his reaction was exactly as I just outlined. Um, You know, people are not stupid. If you're a football fan and you're there because you love the football of Valencia and you love the people that go to support the game um, and you want to really help them, etc., that's one thing. If you want to just invest and then pull out your investment when you've had a, you know, not enough success or whatever it is that you're doing, um, uh, then really, I think we're getting to the stage now. I think you and I and others are identifying fairly quickly uh, the toy boys. The the the, um, the the fur weather players and basically I've said for many years I do feel that there's something bigger going on in football. I'm quite uh, sure that um, you know uh, we'll get back to pushing the ladies game uh, in a couple of weeks. And um, unfortunately, it's almost like uh, Saturday, which used to be sacrosanct, uh, used to be three o'clock. The sports resor- results, um, sorry, the sports w- would start and the uh, the games would all be played at the same time. And nobody really knew how the other teams had got on till the end of the fixtures. Now, what we've been doing, um, I'll use the word because it's uh, very appropriate. We've been kowtowing. We've been making sure that all these games are played at the whims of people in other parts of the world. So when your team or my team, uh, I've got a, I've got a game that starts at a rather weird time, which is not right for the fans that would like to go and watch the game. Uh, just bear in the back of your mind that it's all to uh, placate the people who are behind this movable banner that surrounds the pitch. We, we don't know what on earth the words are saying because they're written in either Chinese or um, Asian, uh, some sort of Arabic message. I mean, it's just nonsensical for me. And um, I'm probably getting um, a little bit steamed up over things that other people don't even see. So what do you see? Uh, Do you think that my way of looking at it has any relevance? 
Well, yes, definitely, Vince. Um, I think you you might be uh, yeah, sli- slightly uh, not exaggerating, but I, I think you, you take these things to extremes. But I definitely agree with where you're going with it. Um, what I think is uh, completely out of order are these um, foreign conglomerations like uh, this Peter Lynn. He's, he's the head. He's the actual owner of uh, Valencia Football Club, but he's a head of like a conglomerate um, corporate association. And they bought Valencia and it was uh, what they call big boys toys, really. But he bought it because he could. Um, and he did show interest in the club for the first couple of years. But then he lost interest because he probably bought a different sports club somewhere else. And basically what he's been doing since then and his corporation have been taking everything that he can out of Valencia Football Club uh, because they can, as long as they aren't breaking any international or any, any tax laws, which um, obviously we have no information on at all. But they are they are allowed to take any kind of proceeds out of the club and not reinvest them. And that is what he's been doing. He's uh, been taking money from the club. He's not been reinvesting it. And look where they are now. Now, that is happening not just at Valencia. That is happening at lots of different clubs, isn't it? And as you say, behind the scenes, there are obviously a lot of things going on. And a lot of these um, big corporations, corporations and conglomerates who come in to buy football clubs are not in the slightest interested in football, number one. Um, they're not interested in the club that they bought. Some of them probably wouldn't even be able to pinpoint it on a map. And they're definitely interested in the players. They're definitely interest, interested in the fans. They're definitely not interested in the local area. Who They might not be fans who go to the match, but they follow the matches like football fans do all, all throughout the world. And it is being taken over by basic faceless um, corporations, isn't it? Yeah. OK, well, look, let's go to the um, Premier League then. And uh, we had the uh, horrible vision of both your team and my team suffering a 4-1 defeat. So uh, with your permission, we'll go with your team first and tell me about uh, how Arsenal defeated Leeds 4-1. Well, um, they defeated Leeds 4-1, I would say, relatively easily, to be honest, Uh, because Arsenal, let's face it, um, you see Arsenal play other teams. When you see them play your own team, you begin to realise how good they actually are uh, because I know Leeds aren't the best team in the Premier League by a long way, but I know how they play and I know their strengths and I know their weaknesses. And Arsenal also knew um, all of our weaknesses and all of their strengths and beat us 4-1, which wasn't a good result for us, but we weren't really expecting very much either. Um, now, should we go on to your, your match, Man City against Liverpool? Well, let's just quickly say that our predictions weren't the best either last week. I only got no. three. You got five. Uh, of the three that I got, I got both Arsenal and Liverpool right. Uh, my form instinct told me that um, Man City should beat us. I thought the first half we did contain and, I mean, we did score a first goal, which was good. Um, I thought the second half, it was almost like, really, um, people walking around with their hands in the pockets, with their uh, clutching the banknotes or whatever else they wanted to get their hands on. I mean, I thought we were dreadful in the second half. Although, having said that, as much as I thought we were bad, I thought Man City were imperious. When, When they're in this certain form... You know, they didn't need um, Haaland. Haaland wasn't playing and um, they easily won the second half. So that's how I saw it. What do you think? Yeah, I saw it the same, Vince, really. I mean, uh, Man City in the second half were just completely in charge, weren't they? Um, Completely in charge. Played some really, really nice football as well. Um, When, as we play football and most of the listeners will have played football, when you think you see some of the passing that goes on and uh, between the City players and between all of the decent teams, basically, but um, City in this particular occasion, and you realise the pinpoint accuracy and how difficult that is to do and how difficult it will be to do with such speed on a regular basis. I mean, it really is. I've got to single out. Football. I must single out one particular player because there was one particular point. Liverpool were one nil up, and Salah was bombing towards a, a, a ball that had been put through, I think, um, I can't remember who it was by, but Jack Grealish ran the length of the pitch and outpaced Mo Salah. 
And I think one of the big, big differences of that game was the performance of Grealish, who I thought was magnificent. Um, yeah, he, he, he ran back to defend, didn't he? He's, he's everywhere. He, he, he doesn't play full matches most of the time. Um, but when he's on the pitch, he doesn't stop, does he? And he, he ran yeah, virtually the length of the pitch, didn't he, to, uh, to take that ball off, uh, off Salah? Well, he put more effort into that run that tracked uh, Mo Salah than probably Mo Salah spent for the second half in total. And, uh, you know, I've got to say, I am an admirer of his football. Forget his other part of his uh, existence, because uh, that's sort of uh, let him down a little bit and has done in the past. Uh, but I mean, I, I did think when he was with Aston Villa that should he go to Manchester City, um, it was going to be a bit more difficult to show just how good he is. But I think he was wonderful that particular game. As we go next... Mm, and, and, the, and the way that he fits in when he either starts a match and then comes off or comes on as a substitute, he fits in perfectly with the uh, with the Man City system. And I think he's quite happy with that as well. Um, just playing certain sections of matches where he's got the energy to give it, up, give it everything he's got for the space of time he's on the pitch. And he does, doesn't he? He, he runs his socks off. He does, uh, literally. And, um, you know, Harlan was able to stick his feet up and uh, just have a big grin on his face and probably have a nice relaxing couple of weeks before the run-in. So uh, we go to Bournemouth next. Uh, and Bournemouth uh, were taking on Flame. Uh, you got this one right, by the way. And I did mm. think that uh, Fulham should have managed a draw if we went by form. Uh, Bournemouth, though, they're not a bad team. Remembering that Arsenal only just beat them, um, I think it was in extra time. I think it was about nine minutes of extra time. Uh, and Liverpool had a tough game against them. So, um, yeah, Bournemouth 2, Fulham 1. Any thoughts on that one? Well, I thought Bournemouth would win this, uh, basically, because um, I know that Bournemouth can be a good team. And they, uh, they're back in a really bad position again after their result uh, last night. But uh, Bournemouth basically completely, they, they just gave everything they had. Um, and they won fair and square against Fulham. But you could see that when they actually play, Bournemouth are a very, very good team. I mean, it wasn't luck that won it for them. Um, it was hard work and playing well. Uh, three, three teams have got to go down. Bournemouth are in the relegation position at the moment. But personally, I think they've got a good chance of saving themselves still. OK, uh, now looking at the top four positions, Brighton got a 3-3 uh, win, uh, uh, sorry, 3-3 draw against Brentford. Uh, then, of course, they got the win last night uh, or the night before. Um, so I would think they are definitely looking top four material. Newcastle beat Manchester United 2-0 and then they've gone to West Ham and won away 5-1. Uh, so they definitely look as if they are in the mood to uh, consolidate somewhere in the top four. Um, mm. This, of course, doesn't all go well for my team, uh, Liverpool. Um, so I think just to make sure we get these predictions right... Um, let's go next to the predictions for what comes on Saturday. Um, so we'll start off with a Midlands derby. Uh, Aston Villa take on Nottingham Forest. Uh, Villa uh, looking pretty strong where Forest have faltered a little bit. So give us your thoughts on that one. Well, Villa, after having a very bad start to the season, now they've got uh, Unai Emery in charge, uh, uh, are now... Top half of the table are in seventh. Um, they are safe because they've got 44 points. So they've really got nothing to play for except uh, bragging rights, if you like, in this what could be classed as a local derby. Forest really need to do something, but I can't see them being able to do very much against Villa, to be honest. They're playing at home at Villa. I've got it down to 3-1 to Villa Vince. I've got exactly the same score, so at least we're on the same sheet with that one as we go next to Brentford. Uh, Brentford have faltered a little bit. They were looking as if they could even have got a top four position, whereas now that looks less likely. Um, they have the visit of Newcastle. Newcastle, although buoyed up by the West Ham trip, I think they might have been flattered a little bit there by uh, what we both saw in the frailty of the West Ham defence. Um, but Newcastle 
they've got the uh, they've got the wind in the tail, haven't they? So give us your prediction for that one. Yeah, well, Newcastle now up to third, Vince, and um, they are back on form again, as you say, after a slight drop in form. Now they're back on top form again. Um, Brentford are safe, but I think they'll be happy if they can maintain more or less where they are in the table. Um, I can see this being a 1-2 to Newcastle. OK, well, I think there'll be a draw here because um, Brentford... Um, they, they don't suddenly become a bad team. They've just had a couple of hard games. Mm. Newcastle don't become the wonder kids uh, just because they've beaten West Ham. So I'll go for that result as we go next to Fulham. What, what's, what have you got? 1-1 one, one or 2-2? Two, two or... 1-1. One, one. One one. Okay. Yeah. Yep. We go to Fulham next and Fulham are taking on West Ham. So that is um uh, well hamming it up a little bit, aren't I really? Um so <laughs> we're looking at a London derby. Um I really think that West Ham, if they don't produce something in this game, David Moyes will be sacked at the weekend. That's my feeling. Anyway, what do you think? Yeah, well, again, this is full AM against West AM, as you say. Uh, full AM are having a good season. They started off really well, but now they're in 10th position. So they um, are not going to get a European place, but they're not going to get relegated either. Um, they could actually put West AM in a very, very precarious situation. And uh, I think that's what they'll be doing. I don't think they're massive rivals. Uh, if you like, uh, they don't hate each other. <clears throat> but it is a London derby. And it is all about bragging rights. And I think that Fulham will actually go out and win this. And I can see them doing it 3-1. Having said that, as you mentioned, if West Ham don't get a result, then this could be the end of David Moyes at West Ham. And it could also be the end of West Ham's season. But I, I, I can see it panning out like that. I can see it being a 3-1 to uh, Fulham. OK, well, I'm going for a 2-2. Uh, so mm. we go next to your team, Leeds. Uh, Woy, of course, Woy Hodgson is uh, back in charge of Crystal Palace. Um, he, he's never going to take a, a, a duff team, uh, especially after the team was being formed by Patrick Vieira. So uh, how do you see Leeds Palace? Right, well, Leeds are only one place behind Palace now because um, Palace are in 12th, Leeds are in 13th, one point difference. Um, if Leeds can get a win, and they do seem to be doing quite well under this uh, new manager, Javi Gracia, um, they've got at least they've got two wins and a draw. I think one loss um, under him so far. Playing at home, they've played very well. I think the other night against Forest. I'm hoping that Leeds will do this because the extra three points will um, basically get us further away from the relegation zone. If not, a draw will suit us. But I'll go down for a two-one to Leeds. I've also put down a 2-1 to Leeds as we go to Leicester against Bournemouth. Now, we've both established that Bournemouth are a tricky little team to beat. Leicester, now, this is always a strange time when the manager's gone. Um, so, how do you see that one panning out? Right, well, this uh, two teams in a relegation position battling it out between themselves. Um, Leicester City without a manager at the moment uh, Bournemouth have got a manager and they they were fighting really hard last week at least um, I think this will be a draw but I think there could be a few goals in it I'll go for a 2 all Vincent Jesmond 2 to on that one OK and I see Leicester 1 uh, Bournemouth 2 uh, huh? we go to Anfield next where the visitors are the high-flying Arsenal who have been absolutely imperious um, you know, the, the, they really do play some lovely football. We know Liverpool can play good football. And, you know, uh, suddenly Van Dijk was ill. Um, we had a rather strange line-up midweek. Uh, we have, we've got all sorts of very, very weird uh, reasonings by the manager. Um, give us your thoughts on that one, please. Well, this... Should really be a top-table uh, clash, shouldn't it? But um, as we mentioned, Liverpool are not having the season that anyone was expecting and Arsenal are doing better now. I think, well, we, we thought Arsenal were going to have a good one, but they're having a very good one. Having said that, they're playing at Anfield um, and Liverpool are going to go all out to uh, put on a show for themselves, but also for the crowd. And uh, I, can, I think this could be a 2-all draw as well, Vince. OK, well, I think Liverpool will win this one. They shouldn't. 
And every time I've talked about form, everything's gone out the window this year. There's no way that really my uh, heart is running this one, but I just know the unpredictability of the Anfield situation. And I think that you can only take so much criticism and then something snaps and you'll just jump back in. So I'm going to put down 2-1 mm. to Liverpool. Yeah, I follow that logic, Vince, and uh, hopefully you're right. OK, now Manchester United, uh, they got a 1-0 uh, against Brentford midweek. They have uh, Everton visiting. Um, and, of course, there is the uh, rivalry between the two clubs. So uh, give us your thoughts on that one. Right, well, this is the first match. This is a Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Vince Manu against Everton. Um, both at different ends of the table, and they've both got reasons to uh, try and get the result. Um, as you say, it's, it's a kind of local derby, isn't it? Manchester against uh, Liverpool um, derby. But I think Manchester United um, are, are too strong for Everton. I think I can't see Everton doing anything really at all. I think it'll be 3 0 to the work, Man United. OK, I've put 3 1, so we're on the same page with that one. OK, uh, now Southampton. Oof, tricky t- task for them. The visitors, Man City. Um, I really, really can't see Southampton doing anything here, but they are a, a little bit unpredictable now and again. What do you think? They are unpredictable, Vince, but um, I think in, in this one, they, it, it, they're going to be very, very... They're going to have to play very, very well to beat City uh, the way City are at the moment. And um, Southampton are the bottom team. They aren't cut off yet, but if they lose another couple of matches, they are going to be cut adrift, if you like. I can't see Southampton being able to pull this one off against City. I've got it down as a nil, a nil two to City. Okay, I've put down as a one three to uh, uh-huh. City, obviously. Uh, now uh, Harry Kane uh, play acting at Everton and not uh, really getting the crowd on his side. Uh, it's a side to his game, which really, um, you know, it's a shame because he doesn't need to do that. These guys are being trained. Uh, to fall over and act as if uh, really they've just been hit by a ton of bricks. Um, but um, he got a penalty and, of course, uh, will his play acting be um, uh, enough to see Spurs defeat Brighton? It's going to be a big test for them because this really is possibly the top four final place playoff. Um, Spurs against Brighton. Give us your thoughts. Right, well, um, as you say, Vince, this is uh, a big match for both teams. Um, Spurs at the moment are in fifth position and Brighton are in sixth. There are four points difference between them, but Brighton have got two games in hand. And Brighton look to me this season like uh, they've got it back together again and they they are looking to try and get a European place, whereas Spurs, anything... Any team could turn up, basically. Harry Kane pretending to fall or pretending to be injured and things, which is not good to watch, is it, when you've got a player as good as him? But um, I think that Brighton will go all out for this one. And I think that it could be a good match. I've got it down as a three-all draw, Vince. I might be be risking it a bit there with the goals, but I can see this being a a ding-donger. Okay, with one minute only left. uh, What have you got for that one, Vince? I've got Spurs 1, Brighton Two. Uh-huh. That's what I think. Wolves yeah. are taking on Chelsea in our last minute now, as um, Chelsea were dreadful against Liverpool. They should have won it about 3 0. Some of their uh, forwards, really, they should be paying the club, not the other way around. Uh, so, Wolves, Chelsea, your final thoughts? I can say Wolves doing this, Vince. Actually, Wolves are still in the relegation battle, and Chelsea are just slightly out of it. But um, the way Chelsea played the other day, the other day, last couple of matches, I think Wolves will do this 3-1. OK, I see it as a one-all draw. OK, mm. so I don't know how we managed to do it because, quite honestly, it, um, it we get it right up to the last minute. Um, once again, we've had an intriguing week, uh, a frustrating week for me in particular with my club, Liverpool, um, I think uh, Rob will be the happier of the two of us, but we did know we had three hard games. We could end up with just one point from these three games. Rob, your last words then from you. Well, Vince, it has been a very interesting week, hasn't it, in um, football, in, in a general sense. 
Um, I don't know, just briefly, did you see the Brazilian referee who got banned for 12 matches for kneeing a player? Um, just a little a side note. So, yeah, there's always something going on and uh, look forward to speaking again soon. <laughs> OK, and um, just to finish off uh, in a, on a serious note, my thoughts and uh, our prayers go out to the family of the young lad that we were talking about this morning and his family. Uh, obviously, uh, something like this is horrible, uh, but it's happening too often and not just to do with football, but there we are. Rob, thank you I very agree, much. May, may, yeah, may you rest in peace and his, fa- his family get some kind of solace. Thank you, Rob. Have a lovely weekend and enjoy the football. My pleasure as always, Vincent. Thank you. Bye.